All right, Trinity Church, how are you doing today? Yeah, good morning to you. Happy Sunday. It's great to see you today. Beautiful day. Uh, thank you for spending part of it with us. If you're a guest today, I really want to welcome you. If this is your first time, thank you for being here. You catch us in a series. This fall series we're calling This is a Football. And we're talking about these foundational aspects of what it means to be the church, what it means to be Jesus' church, recognizing his leadership, recognizing his ownership of us, and wanting to live out his church his way. So it's been a great time. You're here at week seven, and we're continuing on through the book of Ephesians. If you brought a Bible today, Ephesians chapter three will be in the second half of that if you want to get there. And if you have notes, you want to get those out, kind of ready to go, that'd be great. I wanted to give you a reminder, some quick housekeeping, that if you are uh, planning on going to our first base class today, that is um, this aspect of kind of moving into growth and maturity as a believer and a part of Trinity Church, that's happening at our next service, at the 1115 service. It'll include lunch. Some of you didn't have lunch plans. Now, all of a sudden, you do. I'm going to go to that class. I got lunch. It's good. So that's going on today. Just want to keep you mindful of that uh, and, and how you get plugged in and connected here at Trinity Church. Well, we're diving in today, and as we move further into this idea of, of what Ephesians is laying out, Ephesians keeps pushing on this theme of what it means to be in Christ, what it means to recognize whose you are and then live accordingly. And so we're looking through this, this book today. We're going to actually finish the first half. People said, I'm really good at math. That means we're done with chapters one through three, and then we'll do four through six. That's how half works, okay? So, so within that, and some, some really make a very sharp distinction, and they say the first half of, of Ephesians has a very clear theme, and the second half is, is very distinct, and I say no. And as we get more into that next week, we'll talk more about that crossover and, and help with that a little bit today. But we're kind of bringing now to an end, as it were, this first half of Ephesians. And we're actually going to look at something very interesting. We're going to look at another prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians. Remember back in chapter 1, Paul didn't just say, I'm praying for you. Paul said, this is how. This is how I pray for you that you would do this. And, and think about the themes that we've seen so far in this first half of the book. We, we understood that we were formerly slaves to sin that God redeemed, bought back, and didn't just free us from, but freed us to become his sons and daughters. We looked in chapter 2 of what it meant to be originally spiritually dead and then become made alive because of the grace and mercy of God. We looked at what it meant when we had a, a problem in the relationship vertically with God, horizontally with people. Jesus came to be our peace. Peace with God, peace with others. And out of that, he created in himself a new humanity. These are the themes we've been looking at. And then today now we'll come back to another of these prayers here in the book of Ephesians, and we'll see again Paul not just saying, I'm just, I pray for you, he's going to tell them how. And so in order to do that, i got to show you something to kind of get our, our time started today. Uh, I'm not leaving. Some of you are like, wow, that's awesome. He's just actually walking away. How, um, how many of you have one of these? Right? I got this a Father's Day a long time ago. Best gift ever. 
right? Because what, what does this leaf blower do, if, if it's cord works, right? There we go. What does this leaf blower do is it, it takes a job. I would, I'm the kind of guy who I mow my own lawn and that whole business. And so when I would be done, I would always have to get out my push broom. And it almost seemed like more work than the hardest part of the job was actually the cleanup. And I was always like, oh, this is so tiring. Well, one Father's Day, I get this bad boy, right? And I just go, oh, this is awesome. And you can tell that um, right now, not really effective. Okay, needs something, needs actually some power. And so when I take my cord, and I, I'm sorry I don't have one of those really cool newer models that has like the battery you charge up or gasoline or something like that. I'm still tethered to a cord. But nonetheless, it provides some power. So when I actually go and I plug it in, good things happen. Okay? I just feel it. Okay. Are people in the front actually, did you guys feel it? It's legitimate. Did you guys say no? I, Grace's hair is like flying everywhere. That's awesome. It's awesome. Okay, so it works, right? Don't mess with me. You're messing with me. It works, and it works because we add power to the equation, and then something good comes from it. That's a good thing, and it really helps my life go a lot better when I use this. The interesting thing is, though, what this actually ends up doing, the power involved, helps me do something better, less effort, to something I could do on my own. Because I could get out the push room and do all that. But if you were to say, Todd, um, your mission today is to go into outer space. Well, then I need one of these bad boys. This, this source of power that you see up on the screen, that level is required to get to where I need to go if if I want to go into space. If I want to go to the moon, I need a rocket. I need rocket kind of power and in doing so, I'm actually then being charged. If you were to say, Todd, go into space today, which could be a really flippant thing. Todd, go to the moon, okay? But if you were to say that, I would actually be unable to do that. And I need an outside source of power to help me do what I could not otherwise do for myself. The kinds of prayers that we often pray are God help them do things better with less effort and energy than they, but they're things they could still do for themselves. But today what Paul's going to say is, I'm praying for you that God would give you the power to do what you truly cannot do for yourself. And the problem is, as we look through these kind of, we'll break this prayer down into three points. As we break it down, you will be tempted to think, no, you probably can. I probably could do these things on my own. So therefore, I just need leaf blower level power to do it better. But Paul's going to say, no, you're bankrupt. You don't have the power to do what this requires. You need God. And you know what? This is not a bad place to be. This is not a bad place to embrace and walk in and then be grateful for the power of God in our lives. Take a look. I think I have something in your notes. By the way, guys in the, in the booth, you were killing it last service because I skipped like three things. So people last service, by the way, are super bummed or just don't care. Okay, but either way. <laughs> Look in your notes. That's the kind of power that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers, that God would supply the power necessary for them to do things they otherwise couldn't do on their own. 
And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to consider the types of prayers we pray for others, and do we ask God to give them power to do that which they couldn't do otherwise? Number one in your notes, pray for Jesus to reside and rule in people's lives. It's our first aspect we're looking at today. Pray for Jesus to reside and to rule in people's lives. We begin in Ephesians chapter 3 today, beginning at verse 14. This is how it goes. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Which Father? The one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, God, may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, commentaries say this was actually what Paul got interrupted. Remember last week, for this reason, it just kind of trails off. This time he says, no, for this reason, I get on my knees and I beg the Father of heaven and earth. I love that phrase, from whom every family, the spiritual beings above, the earthly beings below, they derive their name from this particular Father. I I talk to him for you. And what does he pray for? That they would be strengthened with power through, their, through God's Spirit in their inner being. That word power, it's the word we've seen before in Ephesians, dunamis. The word from which we get our English word, dynamite. And that's what it is. I pray for that kind of dynamic power for you. We're going to see that word in our English Bibles today, three times today. So this prayer, as I was kind of even graphing it, Uh, On my notes, I actually linked every time you see the word power, and it makes this interesting thread all throughout this prayer. Don't miss the point. Paul prays for rocket engine kind of power for the the people in Ephesus. One thing I want to push on from the very beginning today is this. I, 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 will, I will not say this related to Trinity Church because I'm just getting to know Trinity Church. It'd be a very unfair assessment. But I will tell you, the churches that I grew up in, and even unfair maybe to criticize a pastor or a youth pastor because maybe it was just me. Maybe it was just what I began to embrace and began to understand was that God does this amazing work at the cross, providing a way for me to be rescued, providing a way for me to be reconciled to God. God does that. That's God-sized stuff. But once I'm saved, it's up to me to start growing. I needed God-sized power to be rescued, but now I use Todd-sized power. And by the way, they rhyme really cool with my name. Bummer for you. (laughs) Unless your name's Rod or fill in the blank, you know? So whatever your name is, but you, you, you kind of had this idea, I did anyways, that, that God-sized power to save, Todd-sized power to grow. And all that meant was that I got on the hamster wheel of just trying harder. Every one of these three things we're going to look at today, I tried in relatively my strength to do them because I thought that's what Christianity is. God saves you, you do the rest. Biblical Christianity is that God saves you, and when we ask him, God provides the power for us to become the people he designed us to be. That's the point. And if you miss that integral piece, 
you will continue to hear things through a grid when we talk on Sunday mornings or in the Bible studies you participate in or in your small groups, you're going to continue to hear, try harder. That's, that's what it boils down to. You're just not trying hard enough. I watch sports with my wife, and I'm so grateful. She could care less, but she'll watch them with me from time to time, and it's fascinating. When I watch a game, it's usually a team I'm cheering for, and so we'll be watching this game, and we'll get down to the end of the game, and if my team is losing last night, right? I mean, ah. Uh, so if, if we're about there and, and my team ends up losing, my wife will undoubtedly say the words, they just didn't want it bad enough all the time. I'm like, ah! And from a woman who never played athletic sports, I go, wow! That's so great. You can reduce winning and losing all to simply effort and, and, uh, uh, you know, how much you want it. I know, I'm frustrated. So here's my point. But that's how some of us have interpreted our walk with Jesus. The reason I am not closer to Jesus is what? I just didn't want it bad enough. Don't hear me wrong today. I'm not advocating if you sit on the couch, rub the lamp just right, and do nothing, that instant presto, you're going to walk with Jesus. What I'm saying is it's a partnership. The problem is the overwhelming majority of us Forget about God's part of the equation and just try it on our own because why? We can control it and we can measure it. We hate, if we're honest with ourselves, we hate having to be dependent on anyone else. Just give me a system, give me a checklist, I can do that. God says I'm bigger than any checklist you own. Trust me, ask me. And I will give you that. Look in your notes, because I don't want to forget this other blank, because I forgot it first service. Like I said, they're either really mad or they just don't care. Some of you are here today, and you need to pray this prayer. The prayer we're looking at today, you need to maybe pray it first off for yourself. The prayer of this, God, deliver me from a perpetual cycle of attempting to please you apart from your power that I so desperately need. The prayer we're looking at today is a prayer of humility. It's saying from the very beginning, I can't do it by myself. God, I need you, not just at salvation, not just at the cross. I need you each and every day to become the man or the woman you designed me to be. And as we walk that out today, here's the the great news I want to say from the beginning, just in case you were wondering. You need God's power to live God's way. Watch, and he wants to give it to you. He's not stingy, so ask. So ask him. Ask him and he will. You'll notice that in this very short amount of four verses, we found again all three members of the triune Godhead. Paul prayed to the Father that he would give the Spirit so that they could be indwelt by Jesus. This is in seven passages in Ephesians. Four of the seven have by name articulated the triune Godhead. We don't have time to explore that today, but I just want to keep putting that out here. The book of Ephesians definitely pushes on the idea that God exists three in one. And and that's just an important part for us to continue to embrace related to our theology of the Godhead. 
Now, the wording of this prayer, as Paul is actually praying, what is he praying for? Remember the purpose statements? So that, look at the phrase, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, when you might just read that at a cursory glance, you might go, oh, Paul is praying that they would actually respond to Christ, like for the first time, that they would be saved. I really don't think that's true, and I could give you a litany of reasons. I think instead the key hinges on the word dwell. He is praying that Christ might dwell, that he might reside, that he might abide and take up residence in their lives. More than just a visitor, more than just someone passing through, this would be his place of residence, abiding, residing in their lives. That's the prayer. And the interesting thing is that we know all too well we can let Jesus into part of our life, but not let him invade the whole. How many of you are familiar with this gospel tract or booklet called My Heart, Christ's Home? Have you heard that before or seen that? Probably one of my all-time favorites, and here's the reason why. I'll give you the, the lowdown on it. It's a beautiful picture of thinking of, of your life. I'll even use that maybe more than your heart, but your life like a home, like a house. And the first step is always inviting someone in. So Jesus comes through the threshold, through the front door, into your home, into your life, and he's there in the entryway. And, and you might say that's exactly metaphorically what happened when you prayed to invite Christ, receive Christ into your life. Cool. Jesus never meant to stay in the entryway. He wants to take up residence. He wants to have a home within your life. So guess what you do? You begin inviting him into the rooms. The interesting thing is, Jesus never starts snooping. He waits for an invitation. So the first place you might invite him in is into your living room. That's where you invite most guests, and, and, and he has a, a spot on the couch. It's great. But you know, throughout the course of, of relationship and, and growth, you begin to, and, and he might even ask you, hey, what happens in the kitchen? Oh, why don't you come find out? And you walk him into the kitchen. Isn't the kitchen kind of one of those rooms in your house that you kind of have to be invited into? I, I go to people's homes, and as I'm kind of on the border of the area of the kitchen, first off, I'm horrible in the kitchen. You don't want my help. And I say that with purpose, because then if I come over, you won't even ask, so... <laughs> So good, so good. But I know there's a little bit, I'll look at maybe like uh, the, the wife in this household and I'll look and she'll look at me and she's like, you know, and I get it. Like, okay, this is like a special place. You don't want to mess this up. Well, you invite someone into the kitchen, they're getting down and dirty. This is where we do stuff and you got to be on the same page. That's a new room. And you invite Jesus into the bedroom. You invite Jesus into maybe the back entertainment area. You invite Jesus even to, into the closets that you like kept shut. But that's what it means for Jesus to reside and to reign as he gets to not just come into all of the house, the, the rooms of your life. Guess what? The very last chapter of that tract, I love this when I saw it, the transfer of title. Jesus, my heart, my life is yours. You own it. That's what Paul is praying for, and he's saying, God, they need your power for that to happen because they cannot do it. It's not leaf blower power. It's rocket engine power that they need for that to actually take place and happen in their lives. That's the reason he prays for them. That's what he's asking for. 
that they would be strengthened by God's power so that Christ may dwell, that he may make his home, that he may have residence in all the areas of their lives. That's how we ought to pray for other people too. Number two in your notes, pray that people would be able to grasp the dimensions of the love of Jesus. Pray that people would be able to grasp the dimensions of the love of Jesus. What do we mean by that? Picking up in verse 17, halfway through, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, what? To grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. These have got to be some of the most famous words in the Bible, at least through the lens of like devotional reading. God, let me, let me just stop and process the dimensions of your love. It's just a, a beautiful picture. And, and look how it kind of begins as we think about what he first says is he's talking to a group of people who are not unfamiliar with God's love because they're rooted in it. They're established in it. They have a foundation of the love of God in their lives, but Paul says that's not enough. It's not enough just that you would intellectually know God loves you, that you would be familiar with his love. I'm praying that you grasp it. And look at the kind of love he's inviting them, praying for them to know. What, what angles, what ways? I think of today, and we go into these incredible movie theaters, and you watch this movie with this incredible Dolby stereo sound and the digital image, but for many of you, it's not enough. You need the glasses, right? And you go to the 3D version of these movies, and now all of a sudden, you got this great stereo sound, you got the great digital image, and now it's like literally up in your nose. You know, it's like, wah, it's happening right there. That is a three-dimensional experience of a movie, which is great. Did you recognize as we read this through the four-dimensional reality of the love of God? What does Paul pray? He says, I pray that you might know the width, that as you look this direction, you keep looking and you cannot see the end of the love of God. This direction as well, side to side, the width of the love of God, it does not end. I pray that you would know the love of God's length. That as you look out on the horizon, even the curvature of the earth, that love keeps going. As you look up into the sky to try to apprehend and understand the heights of the love of God, and if you were to go into the ocean and sink, you could not plumb its depths. That's what Paul is saying. I want you to know through the power of God, like I want God's power to enable this, not leaf blower power, rocket engine power that you, and I love that word, that you might be able to grasp, that you might be able to apprehend, that you might be able to put your arms around and understand how deeply Jesus loves you. Because don't you think that would change everything? Just think about that for a second. When you were introduced to who the God of the Bible was, and you began to learn about him, you learned different aspects of his character, different aspects of his, his traits, whatever that was, what, what ultimately drew you to him 
was not the fact that he is a God who is removed and apart from you. Even though he is. His size, his magnitude was impressive, but that wasn't the draw. Or when you understood that this God of the Bible is a God who is holy. You know, the holiness of God is something amazing for us to champion and to laud, but if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, it should scare you to death. Because the holiness of God means he cannot be in the presence of sin. And as a sinner, that means I cannot be in the presence of God. The holiness of God is a completely scary thing until I have been made right through Christ. So it wasn't the holiness of God that drew you. That might have repelled. But when you understood how much he loved you, when you understood that Paul had to even fashion a word because the Greek culture didn't even get it, they didn't know the kind of love that you could give to others that didn't expect something in return. That was the common cultural understanding of love. You love to get. God simply loves, no strings attached, because it's the character of him to give. The love of God is that which drew you closer. So if we pray God-sized prayers... God, would you enable them through your power to know the dimensions of your love? I think that changes things. I think that will change them. Look at this great uh, words, the poetry of this hymn to me are so impressive. I intentionally didn't ask Bill that we would sing it today because if you remember the chorus, only people with operatic voices can even hit this song but it's this third verse that captures me. Look at the poetry. I put it in your notes on purpose so you'd have it this week. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Would, would the oceans of the world be filled with ink? Would the skies be, be basically all of that of a canvas of parchment paper? Were every stalk on earth a quill, every, every stalk of grain a pen? And every man, every woman, a scribe, one who writes by trade, check it, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky, to, from sky to sky. When I read that third verse of that hymn, that to me probably more than any song I've ever come in contact with communicates the dimensions, the limitlessness of the love of God. And why is it that we need that so badly? Why does it change everything? Well, a few things. Number one, it solves the confusion you may be under that you are unlovable. Because when you begin to have the ability to grasp, to apprehend the fact that God loves you like this, you'll know He does. If you think nobody on the planet loves me, I still know that God does without reservation. It will save you from the fact of demanding love from other people. It's interesting how easy that is to see in others, where you recognize in other people that they, they seem to always have this sense of, I, I need you to be loving to me. It's this incredible neediness and, and things go really bad if it's sense, if they sense that that person's not showing them love. They have an incorrect notion, first of all, of what love is because love can never be taken. 
by definition, love has to be given, can only be received. But the reason why people become so demanding of others loving them a certain way is they are not convinced they're loved by God like this, because that would be enough. It would not create that demand, that neediness in other people's lives. And guess what? When you begin to grasp, to, to apprehend the depths the dimensions of God's love, there is so much there that you have leftovers and you can give it away. And that brings us to our third point today. Number three, pray that people would be filled to the brim, filled to the brim with Jesus. Pray that people would be filled up to the top with the character and the presence of Jesus. What do we mean by that? The last verse in this part of our passage, verse 19, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I don't know about you, but I love that first phrase. I've seen that for so long in my Bible, that you would know something that surpasses knowledge. Here's another way of saying it. To know something that surpasses what you can know. I'm not really good at understanding concepts sometimes, but if you just walk that out, to know something beyond what you can know, that's called impossible. I know, you're going, Todd, your light bulb's dim. I know, but I get that, okay? I understand this. To know something beyond knowledge means that if I have a knowledge threshold of here, it's up here, I cannot grab hold, ascertain, apprehend that kind of knowledge without help without the supernatural power of God. A leaf blower power is not going to cut it. To know something beyond the threshold of knowledge, I need rocket engine style power that only comes from God. And look at what he says. Not only a knowledge that they would know things beyond what they could know, but he's praying for them that as a result, what is the purpose? That they may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. They'd be filled up to the brim. And that's hard to conceptualize, but listen to this phrase, because it helped me this week get my mind around it, that they would be so full of the character of God that there's nothing else left. There's no more room to be filled with anything else. That helps me. I can think of like a, an object that has volume, right, to it, like a glass or a mug. And you can think of that being filled up to varying degrees to the point when it's filled to the brim, there's nothing else you can squeeze in there. When you try, like I try sometimes to add too much coffee, it starts pouring out. Okay? You know this. So, so that's the idea that there's no other room in me to add things because Jesus is taking all that room up. Instead of looking out the mirror, or I'm sorry, out the window at other people, I look in the mirror for a minute and go, man, there's a lot of other stuff in there. Some really that has no place in my life and other things that are morally neutral. They're not bad things, but they're distractions, if I'm honest. Paul is praying that there would be such a presence of Christ in them, such a reality of them walking out, living in the love of God, there wouldn't be room for other things. Now, where that might seem almost like, is that really a good idea that there's no more room? Check it out. If you've been around someone that you would actually say is like this, you would know it's far be it from anything that's repulsive. It actually is very winsome. People who exude the character of Jesus. That's what it is. 
that what it looks like when you interact with these people is they, they really have these two focal points that consistently play out in their lives. They're fixated on this incredible God that they love and serve, and they're fixated on you. They care deeply for you. And, you know, if, if someone only had one of those two qualities, you would never categorize them that way. There's people that I know that are what I call spiritually selfish. They're all about this vertical relationship with God and how wonderful He is and how great He is, but they could care less about you. That's that's not the character of God. You know how I know? I read the Gospels. I read about a Jesus who got away and was quiet and solitary with the Father, but loved people amazingly. And it couldn't be reversed. Let's just say that there's someone who's so great, loves you to death, but really kind of, about God. You'd go, that's that's not that picture either. And you know why it's not? Because I find that if people love you this way, but really don't have this, this vertical connection to God, their love is often comes with strings. Because that's what love is apart from who God is and how God loves. You see, To be full to the top with the measure of all the fullness of God, quite honestly, is simply to act like Jesus because that's who Jesus was. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. This is how the author of Hebrews describes Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, what? And the exact representation of His being. If people in the first century wondered, I wonder what God's like, all they would need is 30 minutes with Jesus. And they would know, ah, that's what that looks like. That's who he is. The exact representation of Jesus. And that's why they, that's why you, that's why I need God-sized help to become these kind of people. Because you and I know the hamster wheel is never going to turn out that way. Look at the purpose of each of these three aspects of Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers. First, that Christ might reside and rule in them. Second, that they might grasp, might apprehend the dimensions of Jesus' love. And finally, there would be no room left in them, left for anything else but the fullness of God in their lives. You know what I had to do this week? I had to stop and realize I don't pray this way for people. I pray that they would be healed from the difficult physical affliction they're going through. I pray that they might have power to go through uh, trials that they're walking through. I pray that they might know the peace of Christ when they encounter tragedy. To be honest in a word, I pray leaf blower type power prayers for people. And my hunch is that a lot of us do. This is the beauty of Ephesians 3 is for you and I to get a new understanding, a new charge to pray God-sized prayers for people. God, what could you do in their lives that they could never do for themselves? That's how I'm going to pray for them and specifically that you would reside and reign. Specifically that they would grasp the dimensions of your love. Specifically that there would be no room left for anything but you. That's our game plan for the week. That's what we're going to be about doing. Pray for others to have God's power to become his people. Pray for others to have God's power 
to become his people. And rather than a lot of talk about that today and learning about that, I thought we'd put it into practice. So we're going to do it right now. Now, for some of you, that's all I needed to say, and there are new levels of uncomfortableness in your life that you've not known for a long time. What, wait, wait, did he just say pray out loud? Did he just say that? I did. But I, I, I will say this. This is not a, a, in any way an evaluation of Trinity prior to when I've shown up. But I don't want Trinity Church to be a church who talks about prayer but prays very little. I want us to be a praying people because I believe that's what Jesus wants us to be. So this is how we're going to do this today. In your notes and on the screen, I've made just a paraphrased version of each of these three prayers. Each of them having a place where you could insert someone's name and, and is often even the example I use. Remember, we did this back in chapter one at the end we all read together. We're going to do it a little different today. You could pray one of these prayers. I pray that Christ would reside and rule in Joanna. I pray for my wife, so I might insert her name. I pray that Joanna would grasp the dimensions of Jesus' love. I pray that there would be no room left for anything but the fullness of God in Joanna's life. In just a minute, what I'm going to ask you to do is for those who can to stand and to get in groups of three to four. And what I'm asking you to do is kind of huddle around. There will be a very holy buzz in the room, meaning just this mumble. It's really cool. And I'm going to ask you to get in tight enough, and I'm going to ask you not to pray paragraphs. There's really no time for that today. I'm just trying to get this, like have us exercise this a little bit, and then have you, the goal would be you would do it more on your own this week. But I want you to think of maybe something there. Now, if you're like, Todd, I really don't, no, no, that's fine. I'm not making you pray out loud, but I want to give you the opportunity. And if you would rather just sit and, and pray silently in your group, you're welcome to do that. But I want to encourage you to do this. I want us to pray and not just talk about prayer. So if you do that, I'll call, you'll be, it'll be very obvious when I pull this back together. Stand up, find a group of three or four, pray for these people, and I'll call you back when we're done.